the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good evening and welcome to Contending for the Faith. We're the cutting-edge Christian apologetic ministry addressing the issues and challenges facing today's church with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. My name is Jim Clark. Well, tonight we bring you part four in our brand new series entitled The Ten Disturbing Claims of Christ. These ten claims of Christ will either draw you or drive you from Christ. It is our hope that they will draw you to Christ. These ten claims of Christ were so disturbing to the religious leaders of his day that they wanted to kill him. These ten claims of Christ, even today, still disturb all the false religions and cults of the world who do not know the historic Jesus of the Bible. So, we are going to learn about these ten disturbing claims of Christ and much, much more, for we are not pretending, we are contending for the faith. Good evening, Dr. Buckner. How are you doing tonight? Brother Jim, I'm truly blessed, and thank you for uh, being in Gary's stead here tonight, and we always enjoy having you be a part of what we're doing throughout all these years. Uh, we want to thank everybody out there in Radio Land for joining us for another edition of Contending for the Faith. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner, and we trust that you're going to be blessed by our program tonight. And we've been talking about these ten disturbing claims of Christ. Revolutionary. Oh, so powerful. And I tell you, uh, if you listen to Jesus and his words in the gospel, it will be disturbing. But disturbing, we trust in a good way that will draw you to him then drive you away from him. Uh, now, these disturbing claims of Christ uh, is throughout his teaching, and uh, Jesus gave them over and over, these disturbing claims, and many people came to him, and others rejected him. We trust that this will not be the case with you in rejecting him, but receiving him. Uh, these disturbing claims are so disturbing that some people can't even sleep at night. But we trust that it will disturb you enough to turn you to him. They say that there are Muslims in the Muslim world that uh, have been believing in the Quran, And when they hear about Jesus, it's so disturbing that they can't sleep at night. And then they start to see visions of Jesus. <laughs> and then they turn to him. Oh, we have a mighty God who knows how to bring people to him. And these disturbing claims should uh, turn you to a state of accepting him as God incarnate in the flesh and the only Savior of the world. You need to repent and come to know him if you are denying him. Now let's review these uh, claims that we've been teaching on. And we've been teaching on three claims, and we're going to get to the fourth claim, but let me review these. Number one, the first disturbing claim of Christ is found in the two Gospels, Mark chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 7, verses 47 through 50. And Jesus told the paralyzed man, Your sins has been forgiven. And the scribes were tremendously disturbed by this saying. And it disturbed them in such a way that they asked him, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that was true. That's a true statement. This was proof of Jesus' deity uh, because only God can forgive sins. The Jews had learned this all the way back in the Old Testament, that only God had the power to forgive sins. And so when Jesus forgave that paralyzed man's sin, it disturbed them to the point that they were planning and plotting to kill him over and over and over again. You know, cult leaders need to look at the Gospels for what they are. There are no other cult leader or religious leader who had the power back in Jesus' day and today and ever to forgive sins. Only God could do that. And we need to stop this nonsense in some of the Catholic churches and most of the Catholic churches going to the priest for forgiveness. Stop that. Stop believing in reincarnation, cycles of rebirth to do away with past sins. (laughs) You know what? That's just a lie of the devil, and he's the father of lies, as Jesus talked about in John 8 and 44. And so let me get to the second claim of Jesus, second disturbing claim of Jesus. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and every time he made that disturbing claim, the religious leaders, the hounds of hell, wanted to stone him to death. They saw it as blasphemy. Now, this is the thing that we need to understand, that Jesus was not only the Son of God, but he was God the Son. We need to take a lesson. Take a lesson. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, take a course, a lesson course from the religious leaders. They will tell you that he claimed to be God. Now, what is your problem in believing that he's God? Take a course, a lesson class from the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Now, when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was saying, in essence, that he shares three things within one, the nature, essence, and being of the Heavenly Father. He was claiming the very thing that the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. That whole chapter is known in Greek as the kenosis chapter, which means that he emptied himself. He laid aside the right to always act as God, but never cease being God. And what he laid aside, listen to this now, what he laid aside in his incarnation, he took up in his resurrection. Notice how that sounded like. What he laid aside in his incarnation, he took up in his resurrection. And that's why in Matthew 28, he says, all power has been given to me. Didn't say that before. But in the resurrection, he said, all power has been given unto me. So when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, that was a divine title for Jesus. And the scriptures teach that the high priest condemned Jesus for claiming to be God's Son. Why? Because when somebody says they are the son of their father, they're saying that we're sharing the same nature, the same nature as the Father. Now, 
in that kenosis passage in Philippians 2 and 6, it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, why? Because he shares the same nature, essence, and being. So, listen to this now. The scriptures teach that the high priest condemned Jesus for claiming to be God's son. When they asked him if he was the son of God, Jesus responded by saying, using the divine title, I am. Is that familiar with you? That goes all the way back to Exodus 3 and 14. When Moses says, when I go before the children of Israel and they should ask to me, what is your name? What shall I say? And God said in Hebrew to him, I am that I am. And Jesus came along later on and quoted from that passage in John 8 and 58. And when they asked him, who are you? Whom makest thou thyself? He said, before Abraham was, egoimi, the Greek word, I am. And so the Jews were disturbed by this saying, Uh, in Mark 14 and verse 65. And it was so disturbing, it was so troubling, that the Scripture says they tore their clothes, they spit on him, and they covered his face and beat him and buffeted him, and the servants struck him with the palm of their hands. (laughs) Why? Because he was claiming to be God by saying he's the Son of God. That's pretty powerful stuff. Number three. The third disturbing claim is that Jesus claimed in John 10 and verse 30, I and the Father, we are one. In the Greek is we are one. That destroys the Pentecostal oneness and modalism because they try to say Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he wore different masks. He wore the mask of the Father in history, wore the mask, took the mask off, and wore the mask of the Son, then he took that off and wore the mask of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus was saying in John 10 and verse 30, I and the Father in Greek, it's we. Make a note of that. It's we are one. King James doesn't say that, but in the Greek it says we are one. Now, to make a distinction, and he's saying we are one in nature, essence, and being. That's different from the uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is the real Lord's Prayer, is John 17. It is not Matthew 6. That's the disciples' prayer, our Father which is in heaven. I know you haven't been taught that in your church, but that's true. The real Lord's Prayer is John 17. And when Jesus said, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one, he's talking about unity there. In John 10 and verse 30, he's talking about divinity. There's a difference in both contexts. And Oratory, the great preacher, prince among preachers, said, a text taken out of his context becomes a pretext for error. You don't want to make that error. I and the Father, we are one. And what did the Jews do? That's why I say you got to take a course, a lesson course from these religious hounds of hell. They picked up stones to stone him. The Jews were the first to start a rock concert. Every time Jesus claimed to be God, they wanted to rock his world. Now, the fourth and final one that I'm going to talk about tonight, disturbing claim of Christ, was that he said in John 14 and 9, he was speaking to Philip, and uh, he, he has said to Philip, 
He that has seen me has seen the Father. Now listen, to know Jesus is to know God because Jesus is God. Remember John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. You know, and we learn in Hebrews 1 and 3, it says, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of his glory. Now, I'm going to say something about that glory for a moment. You remember in John 17 and 5, make a note of that. In John 17 and 5, he said, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the foundation of the world. But when you go to Isaiah 42, God says, I will not share my glory, give my glory to another. Wait a minute now. He said he did not give his glory to another. And yet in John uh, 15, uh, 17 and 5, he says, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the foundation of the world. How could he say that? Because he was God. So Hebrews 1 and 3 says, who being the brightness of his glory. That means the essence. It means, and then it says, and the express image of his person, meaning the ex- exact stamp of who God is. Hebrews 3 uh, chapter 1 and 3 is a deity passage on who Jesus is. Now, I always say this to cults and the world of the occult and those who are into false religions. When you look at Hebrews 1 and 8, the Father calls Jesus God. He says the Father calls the Son God. But he says unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. All arguments with the cults and the occult and false religions stop there. If the Father calls him God, you better believe it, you better be- receive it, and you better achieve it. Because Jesus made it very clear. Somebody says, I don't have to believe in his deity to go to heaven. My friend, you haven't read the entire Bible. In John 8 and 24, Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sins. He was talking about deity right there. You better believe it. Now, you say, well, I, would, I never was taught that. Well, you're taught it now by listening to this message tonight. And you, you will not deny who he is when you look at the scriptures. Now, I want to say this in closing, that Jesus, when you, what Jesus was telling Philip, when you see me, you see the Father. And when you see the Father... You see me, because he's saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What more proof do we need than Jesus being God? Jesus came as the Son of God. He revealed God the Father because they are both share the same nature, the same attributes, quality. You know, they are the same equal to each other in nature, essence, and being. So Jesus told Philip, in John 14, 9, he that has seen me has seen the Father. When you see, take a snap picture of Jesus, you're taking a picture of who God is. And uh, that's something very important for us to understand. Now, I'm going to say this to you in closing. My friend, if you have denied Jesus being God in your life, this is an opportunity for you to repent of that right now so you don't go to hell. Jesus did what only God could do. When you look at all the miracles, and he told them, if you don't believe me for who I am, believe me for the very work's sake. His works backed him up as God. You know, 
No one can speak to Mother Nature and say, be quiet. Feed all those people five loaves of bread and two fish, the greatest fish and chips that ever took place in the history of the world. You better believe in who he said he is and who he claimed to be. This is an opportunity for you to repent tonight, accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Acknowledge him right now. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for not accepting you for who you are. Right now, I accept you for who you are. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Brother Jim. Dr. Buckner, now that's what I call unassailable logic. Jehovah's Witnesses, Pentecostal Oneness, Latter-day Saints, are you listening? Uh, Listen to the wisdom of the scriptures. If you have questions, we'd like to hear from you. Give us a call after this break. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith. My name is Jim Clark, and I'm in the studio with Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. We are discussing the 10 disturbing claims of Christ And we're about ready to take your calls. But before we get to that, we want to begin by thanking everyone who has been praying for Contending for the Faith. Without your prayers, we would never have been on the air for so long. We also want to thank those who gave this week, Jackie, Michael, Megan, Richard and Carol, Jonathan and William. It costs us $400 per week to stay on the air. We need your help. We need about $250 for this week's program. We don't want you to turn on the radio some Saturday and and find out that we've gone off the air because of lack of, a, a lack of funds. If you like this program and Dr. Buckner's teachings, please step up and help us financially. Of course, there are two ways you can donate. You can send a check or money order to Contending for the Faith at P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. Or the easy way is to simply go onto the website, contendingfaith.org. That's contendingfaith.org, and click on the Donate button. And that's how you can become a member of Contending for the Faith and, uh, and really feel like you are helping to further what we all believe here is a very critical thing to get this sort of teaching out on the airwaves to people. And we really do covet your support. So now that we've uh, completed and that— we also have the— uh Letter too. Oh, the yes. yes. I, I thank you for reminding <laughs> no me. No problem. Yes, we uh, we do get letters and uh, uh, thanking uh, Doctor Buckner for his teaching and so on. And we uh, we received this one, dear Doctor Buckner. Your wisdom is so needed today. It's not much, but please accept ten dollars. God bless your ministry. And that comes from Jonathan. And you know we thank you, Jonathan, because it's support like this that that really keeps contending uh, contending for the faith afloat. It's people that are just giving what they can and, uh, and supporting the ministry. You know, sometimes you feel like, gee, I can't really donate much because, you know, I don't have a lot. But if, if everybody who is listening and enjoying this program did what Jonathan did, we would have no tr- financial troubles at all. I think I, Dr. Buckner would agree with me on that Amen one. Amen to that, my brother. So, yes. Well, you know what? I, before we get to our callers, I want to share something uh, that's related to Valentine's Day. Uh, since we had that the other day, and uh, something uh, in relationship to the background uh, history of Valentine's Day that most of us are not aware of or probably never done any homework on because when we think about Valentine's Day, we think about it in relationship to loving one another. Uh, But uh, Valentine's Day originated as a Western Christian feast day honoring one or two early Christian martyrs named St. Valentine. 
There are a number of stories connected with the St. Valentine, including an account of him being in prison in Rome for ministering to Christians persecuted under the Roman Empire in the 3rd century. According to the early traditions, St. Valentine restored sight to a blind daughter of his jailer. Legend claims that he wrote the jealous daughter a letter and signed your Valentine as a farewell before his execution. The jailer's daughter, Julia, and 46 members of the jailer's household came to believe in Jesus and were baptized. Now, this is something that we don't generally hear about because we just talk about Valentine and do things for one another, but there's always a history. And Winston Churchill once time said, he that doesn't know the past is destined to repeat it. One more thing about Valentine's Day. If you look at John 3 and 16 in your Bible, I would challenge you to do that tonight, um, you know, after the program, and you will find that uh, in the saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life, you will find the word Valentine in that scripture. For instance, for God so loved, that's a V, that he gave A, his only L, begotten uh, son, begotten, what I would say, E, and so son, N, uh, and that T, believes in, that's I, should, that's N, should not, that's uh, not perish, that's in, um, but have E, eternal life. So you have the word Valentine in that John 3.16. How about that? Mm, isn't that interesting? It would, it would take a Dr. Buckner to look that one up, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Amen, amen. Well, my daughter, too, she always passes unique things on to me as well, so I appreciate her as well. All righty, so we'll get to... Uh, our um, our first caller. First caller. I think we've got a caller, Alfred. Alfred, are you there? Oh, we're praying for Alfred. Okay, let's uh, do that. Let's. Uh, does Does he have a particular prayer request? Or uh, well, let's just pray for him. Yeah, let's, let's lift pray him up. for him. Amen. Uh, Lord God, we pray for Alfred. Lord, uh, whatever's going on in his life, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would step in, and Lord, I just think about the times that you have stepped into my life, even recently, Lord. And how it has been such a blessing. Lord, we pray that you would step into Alfred's life that way. Lord, that you would uh, turn things around, that you would make it known that you are there with him, that you love him, and that you uh, have his best interests at heart. And Lord, that you're there to save him. And that, Father, that's the, the true hope that we have for everyone that's listening tonight, Lord, is that they know you like that, that they know you as their personal Lord and Savior. So, Lord, we pray for Alfred. We pray for salvation. We pray for healing. And we pray that, Lord God, you would encourage him in whatever he's going through. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Brother Jim. And All right. Let's go to Jermaine. Jermaine, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. All right. We haven't heard from you for a while. It's always good to hear your voice. Yeah, just uh, been trying to uh, maintain over here, but I, I am good. Amen. And Happy New Year to you. And, uh, you know, we trust that you got ministered to by the message tonight. Yeah, it was very powerful. And, um, you know, I also thought about 
a couple of friends I know who are Jehovah's Witnesses and and people who are in the Oneness Pentecostal. And so I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and re-listen to that one and, and get my notebook out. That's good. And I don't know if you have the Kingdom of the Cults book. Uh, I'm teaching a course now through Golden Gate Seminary. Now they call it Gateway. I'm teaching a course on uh, the various cults, and one of them is Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, and I'll be dealing with the Nation of Islam and Black Hebrew Israelites. So, um, you know, so we're right in the thick of teaching people in the, the seminary about that. So what's on your heart tonight? Uh, you called in for something on your heart. What's on your heart? Well, just um, this uh, it, it's kind of a combination question that a lot of the issues with the coronavirus that seem to be popping up all over the world now. And I was uh, just thinking about all the brothers and sisters over in China, because I know, you know, being China being so, so valuable and full of people, there's, there's literally millions of them. And I, uh, I've been paying attention to what a lot of the Chinese citizens themselves have kind of been putting out versus the numbers that their government was putting out. And it's actually a lot worse than we were being told. And, I just thought about all the Christians and believers over there. I just wanted to, to pray for them, but I had a thought about corporate prayer because it seems like that would be a lot of people praying. Would would corporate prayer always be more powerful than a singular faith-filled person praying? Because if I believe in the Lord just as much as anybody else, and I'm talking to God who's answering prayer, would that make more of a difference, or is there something in corporate prayer that we're not getting when we pray by ourselves. Well, it would make a major difference because if you if you look at um, Jesus' teaching, right, in Matthew chapter 6, when he gave the disciples prayer, he uses the plural, our Father. He says, when you pray, you pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven. So that's a plural you know, the singular is always I pray, but the plural we pray. That's what I always tell people when you get before the congregation, you always say we, not I. And there's power in corporate uh, prayer because another example would be in the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit in action through the church. That's what the book of Acts is referring to when he uses the word Acts. It's the Holy Spirit at work through the church. So, um, when you look at the book of Acts, you find that uh, great things happen on a greater level when the church prayed in a corporate way. And I think about that with uh, Peter being in, in, in prison, and uh, the church went down in prayer, and uh, the earthquake hit the, j- the jail. So that was because those people got together and prayed, and there's power behind more than one person getting together and praying. And we do need to pray for people in China uh, and uh, and the Christians there. But, you know, uh, I think God is trying to say something, too. You know, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And uh, we trust that this virus will run them from Buddhism and run them to the Bible, you know, because— uh, in China, they have been against the Bible, against God, and into Buddhism, uh, the majority of the people there. And we trust that this major thing, like what happened in Egypt, you know, those ten plagues, 
the purpose of that was God trying to get Pharaoh and all those Egyptians to turn to him. And there is a purpose what God is doing with this situation uh, because uh, we uh, know that this thing, many scholars believe, started with a monkey and, uh, you know, an, an animal and passing on to a human. But the big purpose of all of this is that what is God trying to say in all this? Because there's a purpose in everything, and I think he's trying to wake not only the people up there, but wake us up here because it's it's here and it's starting to come here, and so uh, you know God is trying to say something. If we don't if we don't ever look at things that we are experiencing from the light of God and Scripture, and what God is trying to say, say we're gonna lose the purpose of everything in life. So uh, hopefully that gives you some insight. But you look at the book of Acts and it'll tell you a lot about corporate prayer and the power behind the results of what happened over and over and over and over again. And it's always where the church went down. It talks about how the church got together and prayed. It's power. And we need to imitate that in our own personal life too. Well, thank you, Dr. Barton. And just from what you said, actually, uh, you know, the current political situation in our country and people disgruntled everywhere, I was just telling a friend, you know, all these things going on in the world really do make me see that I can only look to, to the Lord. I can't really uh, just just trust ordinary people because th- these things are happening, and that's the only solution that makes any sense. So just, just what you said, I already felt in my own heart. So thank you very much for that answer. Amen. And let me say one thing about the late Billy Graham, the great evangelist. He said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize for what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's judgment is coming, trying to get people to turn to him. And, and he has many ways of trying to wake us up, not only in different countries, but here too. But thank you for your call. Appreciate it. And you always have a good question. God bless you and your family. Yeah, and don't forget, too, to plug in to uh, the Bass Convention, where I'll be speaking, and Jim will say something on that. I think we might have gave you an announcement on that. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, Bass Convention. All right, we're getting ready to go to a break, right? Okay. All right. Well, with that, we have to take a break to better have our sponsors better serve you, and uh, we'd like to hear from you, so please give us a call after this break. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith. My name is Jim Clark. I'm in the studio with Dr. Jerry L. Buckner, and we are, again, talking about the 10 disturbing claims of Christ and taking your phone calls. I just want to also remind folks that, of course, Dr. Buckner is always teaching, and uh, he's uh, actually going to be doing a, be a keynote speaker at the Bay Area Sunday School Convention. That's the Bass Convention. And if you'd like to know more information about that, you can simply Google the BASS, the Bay Area Sunday School uh, Convention. And that's going to be between March 5th and March 7th in Castro Valley. There's three workshops or so, and he's going to be a keynote speaker there, as I mentioned. So it's something you definitely want to check out. All right. Um, I think we're going to get back to some callers then. Let's do that. Let's do that. I think we've got uh, Sophia. Sophia, are you there? Oh, yes, I am. Hello, both of you. Now, I'm going to talk fast because it's always good to hear from Jermaine, and I'm so glad what you said, Dr. Burke. I'll get to my question in half a second, but right on the money, as they say. It's an expression. So absolutely right, because, you know, China put a million people 
in this, like what they call reassignment place to change their, a lot of them were Christians, and they want to bring them back to their religion. So they're very anti-Christian, and of course this country as well. So it is a good warning for us. And you're right, the hand of God is on everything. So that was very important. And now I'm going to look for, like, words in everything. I love that you came up with Valentine in 316, John. Okay, so this is my question. I want to know who the Armenians were, because I was told, well, see, Jesus has no power. He only came to help us help ourselves. He can't save. He he has no power. So I don't understand who they are. Mm -hmm. So let me just ask you this. What, What makes you raise the question, what type of dialogue did you have with uh, some of the people on how this whole came, this this discussion came up for well, you? I'm just you trying know, to get some background on it. Okay, this is the background. I don't know what it is, but a lot of, like, of course, obviously with my family who are Jewish, they're, they're always on my case about it. But there were some people at work, and um, I was invited to go to their breakfast, uh, a group of them, and they said they were very religious, and so I would really like that. And I said, well, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And they said, oh, we believe that too, so come. But then when, we, when I got there, they started saying, well, you know, Jesus has no power. He came to help us help ourselves, but he can't save us or do anything for us. I mean, he can, he can only, uh, it's all on us. So then that's why I thought I better ask Dr. Buckner, because he was basically saying, Jesus doesn't have any power. He can't, he only came here so we could help ourselves. Now, that does ring true in some sense. We, there, we have a part to play. So I just didn't understand, but they said he, he can't save us. Okay, so what I'm going to do, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is give you some information, and then I'm going to give you a homework assignment, okay? Oh, okay. And then next week when you call in, uh, we will discuss it in more detail. But okay. what I want you to do, because I know exactly what where you're going, um, what you're going to do is you're going to look up the word Calvinism. Okay. Okay, you're going to look at the view of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Oh, okay. Yes, because those are two schools that debate oh. debate against each other. Okay, so mm-hmm. you got the Calvinist view, and that goes back with John Calvin, you know, and he wrote the Institutes of Calvin, and he they believe they're a Christian group, but they believe in uh, predestination, double uh, predestination, that there are some that were born uh, to go to heaven, others born to go to hell. The Arminian takes an opposite view from that. So these two groups from Arminius, where the Arminians get the name, they debated with each other. Uh, and so what I'm going to have you to do is okay. give you some homework on those two groups. Okay. And then tell me what you come up with next week. And then we'll kind of like talk about that in more detail. But I'm giving you a homework assignment to look at that because I know exactly where you're coming from, especially when they say Arminius view we can't help ourselves, that is something that uh, really, to some degree, uh, God is the one that does the help. He does help us, and uh, we have to depend upon him in everything that we do, and we help ourselves only to the degree of uh, 
trusting and believing in him. And that's one thing that we we must do. But do some homework on those two groups, and then next week we'll talk about that more. Oh, great. Thank you so much. God bless you both, and I will do that. I'm very excited. Yeah, because I know you're studious, and that'll kind of give you more insight, but they have it laid out on the computers uh, where you can Google those two and then look at the two differences, and then what I want you to do is tell me what view you hold to, you stand by, okay? Oh, okay, because Jesus did save the uh, the, the thief next to him on the cross, right? So, so he can save, can't he? Yes, yeah. Well, the thief on the cross, you know, he reached out and uh, for help, and Jesus gave him that help. Oh. I see what I see where you're going now. Because okay. the Bible says in the, in the Romans that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's our part. And God's oh. part, God's part is that he'll step in and do the, the next step. Okay. Well, I, I'm very excited. So I will look into this, and then I will report back to everybody about these Calvinists and the Armenians. There you go. That'll help you to ha- have a better a working knowledge of everything, and then we'll talk more about that. Thank you so much, and God bless you both. All right, God bless you too. Bye. All right, who do we have next? All right, well, Dr. Buckter, I just want to let you know that you just started religious war. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that is a that is I've seen that issue divide not only churches but split families, and it's uh, it, it you know. It, we have to learn to, to love one another. As you talked about, you know, as Christians, we we are known by the fact that we love one another. And this issue can create a lot of animosity. Oh, yeah. And that, I'm glad you brought that out because this is what we call a non-essential. And uh, we should uh, de- uh, always debate but never divide. And uh, I think St. Augustine put it so well. He said, in the essentials, what? Unity. Mm. In the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, what charity. charity. That's that's a good saying, isn't it? Yeah. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. So, uh, Sophia, remember that as you study these two, and this it, it has divided people, and even some people earlier in history, going back to Calvinism, people were getting killed. So it's uh, something that we. Debate, but we don't divide. All right, who do we have next? Well, I think we are going to go to Rick. Brother Rick, how are you doing? You get you get me started on this uh, discussion already because I remember I was asked that question several years ago. Mm-hmm. And the only, the only way I could answer it is, I just rather be biblical. Amen. That's it. I'd rather be biblical, and then let, let's go to the Bible and discuss it, and go from there. Yes. Because uh, Calvinism in Armenianism is a man-made. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a man-made tradition. Mm-hmm. And basically, in most of the situations, I like to avoid argument as mm-hmm. much as possible. Yeah, because people can uh, win arguments and lose souls. That's what happens so often. Amen. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Uh, okay, so what's a good point that you're raising, Rick? And what's on your heart tonight? Okay, I'm, I, I got a question from Genesis nine, mm-hmm. and this is when uh, this is when uh, Noah got drunk on the wine. He was naked. Ham mm-hmm. saw his nakedness. His two, the other two sons, Shem and Japheth, covered him. Right. 
And one of the things uh, that came, one of the things that's come out of this tradition for a long time in, in Mormonism is that we have we, we have racism against blacks because uh, the because of they they say that Ham was cursed. And what we find out what we find out in the Bible instead, Noah said, "Cursed to be Canaan." Mm-hmm. So why did he, why did he curse Canaan instead of Ham? Well, that's a that, that's a very good question, and I'm glad that you mentioned that about this passage in Genesis uh, nine that the Mormons earlier in history, and all the way down to 1978 under the uh, late Spencer Kimball, it said that blacks had been uh, cursed because in Genesis nine and verse 27, I believe, it talks about. Uh, you know that they they in eisegete in the passage that uh, Ham uh, or Noah actually cursed Ham, but that was not the case at all. The curse didn't fall on Ham, which they try to argue that uh, that blacks are progenitors from Ham, and a lot of other racist groups try to use that argument that uh, blacks. Uh, actually were cursed because the curse came upon him. If you look at the passage in Genesis 9, it talks about Noah says, Cursed be Canaan. Now, why did it fall on Canaan? Well, you know, one of the things that is important to us understand is that Noah was in his own right uh, a prophet because God gave him the gift of prophecy, uh, even though the Scripture doesn't say that. Uh, but he had a prophetic word from God in the sense that God told him that a flood was coming, and he gave him that word uh, in advance, and he also went and warned the people, but the majority of all of them didn't listen except for Noah's family, you know, which let you know that not always people get saved in a revival or whatever type of uh, revival that's going on. Uh, now, so I'm saying that regarding Noah had the gift of pro- prophecy is because he kind of demonstrates a prophetic word in saying, cursed be Canaan. I think he was looking in the future at the fact that the Canaanites would be one of the great enemies of Israel. And uh, so they actually gave Israel more trouble than uh, practically all of the other people, and uh, God allowed them to uh, take over their land and to dominate them and to drive them out. But they gave uh, Israel great persecution, and so some of the curse that came upon them was that they uh, uh, lost a lot of benefits because they were anti-God and anti-Israel, anti-everything else. And back in that day, when you didn't follow God, and you didn't do what God called you to do, you can look at Deuteronomy 28. It says that curse came upon the people because they didn't do what God called them to do. So uh, curse would be Canaan because he, Noah is looking in the future, and he's looking at a situation where these people are going to be a thorn in the flesh. You know, the Parisites, the Jebusites, and the Canaanites, and all those who had no light. <laughs> so they were a thorn in the flesh of Israel, 
and these were one of the, the, the Canaanites were one of the major groups, and uh, God is simply giving to Noah something, I believe, a word of prophecy in advance that he would uh, bring out something that he knew that nobody else knew because God gave that to him. That's the way I see what's going on with that. So hopefully that kind of helps to give you a little insight. Amen. And it would be a very big curse if he had to curse Ham. Yeah, yeah, well, Ham... Ham nobody yeah, yeah, Ham did... He didn't do a respectful thing uh, for his father, but, uh, you know, his father simply saw that this kid can turn around too, but he looked at the Canaanites as a, as a word of prophecy that they're just not going to turn around. They're going to, his son would, but not the Canaanites. So uh, God was giving him something well in advance like he did with the flood, well in advance before it happened. So that's the way I kind of see that. And is it very similar to like, you know, when, when, in Malachi, you know, he said, Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. Right. But not lit- not literally the person Jacob or the person Esau, but he talked about the generations of of Jacob that he loved and the generations of Esau that he hated. Yeah. Well, the word the word hate in the Jewish context is not what we use as the word hate. It it because Jesus said in the Gospels, "He that that hateth not his father, mother's brother, sister." He's basically saying prioritizing. And that so in the Old Testament, uh, God prioritized in the sense that he went to Jacob rather than Esau because he had more of a heart after God than uh, Esau. So uh, the word hate is different from the way we use the word hate. Amen. Yeah. All right, my brother, we're going to get to our next caller. Good to have you call in and your good question as well. Let's get to Cece. Cece, how you doing? Hey, how you guys doing? We are truly blessed. How are you doing? I'm blessed after hearing the message. Yeah, tell me about what you got out of the message, because I know you have a question, and I believe in order to do justice to your your uh, question, we're going to try to get you on uh, first next week, and then we will try to get some feedback, because we only got about two or three more minutes. So uh, what? how did the message speak to you? The message spoke to me in seeing more clear I always saw that Jesus was God, but you made it even more clear how you said that Jesus has the same nature, essence, and being when he um, used the fine title as him being the Son of God, and how you brought it all the way back from Exodus 3.14, that I am, and how Jesus said that in John um, 8.58, meaning that how you brought that to fruition and saying, so the Jews believed in the Old Testament, God, and Jesus was saying, that Old Testament God, I am that God. And it was just awesome just how you just how you put the, you know, just how you brought everything out, you know, how him having the same nature, essence, and being as God, and even how you went to Philippians chapter 2 in the Kenosis Doctrine, where he said to consider it not robbery, um, to be equal with the Father. And how you just brought all those brought all those passages out in Hebrews, and it was just it was just awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. I could have I could I could I could listen I could listen to that for hours. Amen. Well, appreciate that, and that's one thing that's good about people going to the podcast. They can listen to it over and over and over again. Uh, you know, one uh, gentleman uh, 
they write people write us all the time and say how much they get blessed by the teaching and everything like that and then uh just taking a crash course uh from the religious leaders themselves they were stoning him because they knew that he definitely claimed to be God, and even when they used the word blasphemy, that was a term that was used when someone ever claimed to be God. Well, we uh, are sensitive to your your question. We'll deal with that next week, and uh, thank you for your call, and we'll keep you in prayer. We're going to turn it over to Brother Jim. We hear that music. Oh, yes, we do. Well, we've come to the end of another exciting broadcast, and we would like to thank Vince, our engineer, Frederick, our phone counselor, and you, our listening audience, for being part of tonight's program. Please keep us in your prayers until next week at this time when we once again give you the opportunity to ask questions, make comments, and dialogue with Dr. Buckner, always with one purpose in mind, to equip, exhort, and better enable you to contend for the faith.